Hey, what's up, everybody? On this week's Sportlight Podcast, we talk to Olympic silver medalist and current world champion Ryan White about swimming. We talk about the price of being an elite athlete. She shares some opinions on social media and why she tries to stay away from it. She talks about her training and her nutrition. It's just so much. Eyes up, do the work. Just an incredible message from her that will inspire everyone and leave you feeling like you just want to be a better person and do more for other people. She is just an elite person, not only an elite athlete. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Well, everybody, we are here with Ryan White, United States Olympian. And Ryan, I'm going to read a little bit of your accomplishments here because this is super cool. 2020 Tokyo Olympics, you swam the 100 and 200 backstroke there, participated in the 400 medley relay that won the silver medal. There in Tokyo, you've swam at Alabama in the SEC. Now this is your fifth year because you had that extra COVID year to participate. But this is the coolest for me, I think. Well, Olympics is cool. All this is cool. But we are talking to the fastest person in the world when it comes to the 200-meter short course backstroke. You're the defending world champion when it comes to that. So that's pretty cool. Not many not many times have I ever spoken to the fastest person in the world at anything. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ryan. Yeah, of course. I'm super happy to talk to you guys and tell you about my experiences. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to lead off with a question. I, I did a little study up on you, read your bio. How do you go from cheerleader, tumbler, and swimmer to Olympic swimmer. I'm just curious in your mind, it sounds like you did a lot of things growing up, but there must've been a moment when it clicked for you that you would have the opportunity to really be an elite swimmer. When did you come to that realization and, and start seriously training with swimming? Um, yeah, so cheer was always just something that I love to do. <clears throat> um, I started swimming, my sister and I like love to compete against each other and she did cheerleading. We both tumbled together. Um, it was mostly just for fun. I think like my dream was always to go to the Olympics for swimming. Uh, but I would say maybe around my senior year of high school is when I would say that I realized that I could really do something. It was like around the time that we're, that my class is like committing to go to college um, and just going through that process and hearing all these coaches kind of hype me up to myself. Um, I think that's when I realized that I was looking for a coach and like a partner to help me accomplish this dream of mine that had kind of turned into a goal. Um, yeah. That's a and cool I think, way to say I think that's, it. Yeah, a dream uh, that turned into a goal, right? Like yeah. a little girl <laughs> dreamed it. Now you realize, okay, here's someone who can help me achieve my goal. And so you chose Alabama. How mm -hmm. how did you come to that realization? Um, I talked to a few different schools 
um, when I got down to like the serious um, committing process and recruiting process, um, I liked all of them, but I just, I don't know. I really loved the team here. And I thought that surrounding myself with these types of people would help me more than just between me and a coach. Um, and I committed here. One of my like old club coaches coached here during my process of recruiting. So it was nice to know that I was going to have somebody that knew my coach from home and knew my parents. Um, someone that was like make Alabama feel a little bit more like home. Um, so yeah, that's why I ended up committing. And then actually he left all of our coaches. We had a complete coaching change um, at the end of my freshman year. And it's so weird how life works out, but I really think that like the coach that I'm working with now is the coach that like is meant to be my coach. And I think I'm like meant to be one of his swimmers. Um, it was really hard to wrap my head around the fact that like all of our coaches were leaving, but I just see it now as a blessing. So, yeah. That's cool. I, I, I think part of the reason you went to Alabama is because your dad thought if you did that maybe Jack could go there and play football, your your younger brother. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that came up. Um, I know we have a bunch of questions that we're gonna get into with you, Ryan, but I just wanna before we go too far, you're fairly new to especially for athletes, meaning that you didn't grow up with this like a lot of kids that we work with in Utah might because we work with their club or we work with their high school. It wasn't part of your school. Um, still isn't, unfortunately. We need to we need to get into your your old high school. But you were aware of it because of your brother, Jack, who I mentioned, who was as a football player. Um, but it really wasn't until just the last year or so that your dad kind of made you a little bit more aware of things than you and I had a discussion once and I sent you a copy of our book and um, you kind of started looking into, to especially for athletes a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, are you, you wear a wristband like, like we do that says eyes up, do the work. There it is. Yeah. Showing it off. Thank you for wearing that. We, yeah, we, it's awesome for us to have an Olympian support in our cause. Um, but you know, to you, and, and I didn't. We didn't even prep you with this question when we sent you some of the questions we might ask you. But I'm curious, since you've looked through that book and and thought about that wristband, eyes up, do the work, or the the message of especially for athletes, the sport light, which you are absolutely in at a at a super uh, high level right now. What does that mean to you? What what does that phrase or that idea of of living with your eyes up and doing the work mean to you? Yeah, um, I am very or fairly new to it. I think something that I've learned from my dad and it kind of ties back to E4A is just serving others. He's always looked for people that are in need of help and finding very uh, creative ways to help them. And I think that like just each day as I'm going to practice, I'm more aware of how my teammates are feeling, how I'm feeling, or even my coach who... I think a lot of times the coach athlete relationship is like they have the power and they kind of decide how things are going to go, but sometimes they need help too. And I think just me having eyes up in my head and like on my wrist, it just reminds me to look around and see if someone else is in need of help. And I really appreciate it because it gives me a different perspective 
on how other people are feeling and how things that they're going through affect them. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, let, let, let me, let's dive into the nitty gritty now. <laughs> What's a typical day life like for you when you're training you, I mean, in the, in the middle of your, I know you have off times or times that maybe aren't as intense as others. You probably don't have a lot of off times, but in the in, most intense weeks of training, What's a typical day like for an Olympian, Olympic swimmer like you? Uh, <laughs> well, I can just start at the beginning. I So I have doubles Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, so those are usually the harder days of the week. Tuesday and Thursday, we just swim in the afternoon, which is nice. I get to sleep in. Um, but yeah, like on Monday, I would wake up maybe like an hour before my practice, which is at 6.30. Um, so wake up at five 30. I like to show up to practice awake. I don't like some of the people they come and they're a little sleepy still. So I like to be ready when I get there. Um, I live maybe three minutes from the pool, but I usually get there about 30 minutes early. So I like to roll out, stretch a little bit. Um, just see how I'm feeling before I get in. Um, we swim for about an hour and a half. And then I head over to the dining hall with some of my friends for breakfast. Um, I go to the library sometimes, or I just do my homework at home. Um, I don't actually have in-person class this year. It's all online, which is really nice. Um, yeah, then I, I take a nap like every day. <laughs> it's definitely a priority to get my rest. Uh, and then the afternoon practice is when we get hit pretty hard. Uh, it's usually like a little more than two hours. And from there, I go straight over to the weight room um, where we lift for like another hour and a half-ish. I It takes me a little longer. I like to go slow. I like to do things my way and make sure I'm doing them, getting the most out of the exercises that we're doing. And I typically stay after two to stretch or do an extra ab workout, something like that. Um, yeah, and then I just head to dinner, back to the dining hall. It's really convenient that we have that. Uh, <laughs> and then... Yeah, I, I typically just come home, kind of try to relax, calm down, uh, do laundry or like I really, really like reading. So I, I, I just read at night usually. So, yeah, that's like a that's like a Monday. So wow. <laughs> that happens Monday, Wednesday, Friday. When you mentioned sleep. What time do you go to bed? If you're waking up at 530, do you have a regiment where you like make sure you get your sleep? Um, I try to be in my bed by around 10. I would say I probably don't fall asleep until like 1030. Um, depending on what book I'm reading, it might, it might be a little bit later, <laughs> but um, I'm not super strict about it. I don't like to overthink things. So, um, that's just something, I mean, I go to bed pretty early. I would say to some people, but I'm also like a night person. So kind of like, sometimes that gets hard, uh, yeah, I would say prioritize napping over going to bed early. Yes. Yeah. Well, that that nap is important. You know that that is. I mean, that's something that any elite level athlete is is who's talked to a doctor before, or even a sports psychologist. They'll talk about the benefits of of sleep, but even taking a nap, you know, during the day, and and how important that is to get your rest. So, what you're saying though is you don't spend four or five hours a day on Instagram. And scrolling no. through random uh, no. 
you're not on your phone for four hours a day or playing video games for six hours a day, huh? Uh, no video games. I don't have Instagram on my phone most of the time. Um, I usually, if I'm getting ready to post something, I'll download it, um, check, make sure there aren't any like weird comments. But other than that, like it's not on my phone right now. I don't have TikTok. Um, yeah, that's not it. really something I, yeah. I'll get lost in it. So yeah, yeah, it's I love it. It's focus, right? It's priorities. It's it's having your eye on the prize and knowing that things that are potential distractions to that are not worth your time and energy. And that's that's why you're elite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope all you young kids and parents are heard that last little bit right there. That's we say all the time, <laughs> Ryan. I, I, you can't out of one side of your mouth say you want to be an elite level athlete or student. And then out of the other side of your mouth, say that you spend four hours a day on video games or social media. You can't do both. You know, something has to give. So what what advice would you have for kids who are coming up as swimmers um, or, or not even swimming? What advice would you have for somebody that wants to be great at something? We'll use sports, obviously, as this is directed at athletes. You know, why is why do you think? social media or what other things are there that you saw growing up that were maybe distractions? And when did you realize I have to cut some of those things out of my life if I'm going to do this? I think with social media, it kind of puts people into a box. And I, in high school, I used Instagram a lot more. Um, and I would see what my friends were posting. And I think it's just a way for this time that people are trying to fit in. And I think um, it's hard fitting in and it's hard when you don't fit in or you want to. And I think using social media creates a lot of comparison between people. And I don't, I don't know if this is as heavy in guys or boys, but at least for me, I, if I'm on Instagram, I'm constantly comparing myself to other people and other posts and not necessarily likes, but, or comments or like these things you see on the screen, but it's just seeing other people and people are only posting what they're having fun doing and they make their life look so, um, just like so easy and so happy when I just think everything's go everyone's going through things on their own. And that's something that I've struggled with is, like falling into this spiral of comparing. Um, yeah, I think also like not everybody thinks the way the athletes think. And um, we have to be somewhat obsessed with what we're working toward. And I think that that can fall into other categories without it being our choice. So we can obsess over comparing ourselves or obsess over likes or comments um, like views and shares, all these things. And I think that like being obsessed in this way is good for our sport, but it can be bad in other parts of our life. So. Yeah, that that's interesting. You have that personality, that competitive, um, addictive personality. You, you hear athletes oftentimes find it fall into traps of addiction and it's the same. That's the same sort of characteristic that drove them to be addicted to the weight room or be addicted to, to, you know, working out and training and becoming a great at athlete as, as an athlete can also be 
the same thing that drags them into trouble, right? That obsession, like you said. And, and yeah, I've, I've actually never thought of that with, with social media, Ryan, that that same obsession that you have to be great and to want to win and be successful could also hurt you when you go on social media and you maybe become obsessed with not being the, the you know, the looking or acting or feeling like your social media feed is as impressive <laughs> the likes that you're getting aren't as much as somebody else. And now it becomes a a double-edged sword. That's the negative side of it. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So you said something in your previous answer that I, I listened to a few other podcasts that you've been on and, and you said, I try not to overthink things. And I heard (laughs) you talking about how you personally don't like to, hyperanalyze your times and and things like that but you just like to go in and concentrate on effort and having a good swim without obsessing over times that sounds almost like a something that is is a belief you have as an athlete that helps you to perform at the level you perform at would you talk a little bit more about that yeah when i go into a meet um I try my best not to have expectations. Um, I trust my training. I trust myself and my coach. And I think that each day I work toward, like, I guess, giving myself confidence and treating my mind the right way that, like, fits me. Um, I don't like to think about times. I almost never know my best times. Um, And a lot of my friends or just like people that I talk to about swimming, they might know someone's times and I'm not, it's not that I'm not a swim fan, but I just don't keep up with these things. Um, I think I do best when I stay in between my lane lines. Um, so if I start thinking about times and then I don't go a certain time, I think it, it kind of, it can just, it can be like hard for me to understand why my training didn't work or why like, Oh, I slept all this, all this time before like leading into the meet and this kind of thing. So yeah, I just focus on like what's happening between my lane lines. Like I work on my breakouts. I have like a kick count, a stroke count. Um, I just, I just prefer to think of it this way. Another thing like that kind of pertains to times is my coach is always saying to um, keep the highs low and the lows high. This is just, if I have an amazing swim, it's important to me and, to him to teach me that it doesn't define me. And if I have a terrible swim, it doesn't define me. And there's always something coming next. So um, just like trying to keep like a steady, steady uh, like rhythm to what I'm doing and focusing more on that instead of the time. That's something that I really, really like. That's a cool, it's a different take on the stay in your lane, (laughs) you know, saying that's often thrown around. But what I hear you saying, we often talk to our athletes about, look, you'll you'll be a lot better of an athlete and a lot better of a person if you focus on those things that are within your control. And it sounds mm-hmm. to me like what's within your control is what happens in that one lane of the race. If you start worrying about the other seven lanes, then that gets in your head. But you're you're talking about kick counts and stroke counts and trusting your training and i think that has a lot of life application 
that sometimes yeah. when we start thinking outside of our lane and, and try to get beyond our training, we start to feel despair because then we're worrying about all these things that we can't affect anyway. Yeah. Definitely things that I focus on are the things that I can control. Um, like what someone else does in their training, what they do during their race. It's just, that's them and that's best for them. But I just think that what I'm doing is best for me. So I focus on those things. That's awesome. Yeah. Ryan, I, I, I thought that I might be an Olympic swimmer one day too. And then I swam to one end of the pool and back and realized the, how hard it was to even get to the one end. I almost drowned. So I gave that up when I was about eight. Uh, but for, for, for those of us who are like me, that swimming one end and back is hard, don't know a lot about swimming. You said stroke count and kick count. Like, yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. I'm just curious to know what, first of all, do you, you, you're not counting both at the same time, are you? And then also what, <laughs> like, that's how, that's how Sorry. smart I am, Ryan. Um, <laughs> I would be pretty talented if that were the case, you know, like, like on hey. this side of my head, I'm counting my strokes on this side. I'm counting my kicks. Yeah. Maybe that's why I can't swim. So, so well, I forgot that trick anyway, but what, what's that like? Like your stroke count, you're, I mean, you're trying to, obviously you have a number from practice, I assume. And then you're trying to stay within that when you race or explain more about that, just so we understand what you're doing in the water. Yeah. So when we race, there's like a little marker on the lane line. Most of it's like red, but then there's one like black marker. Um, it's at the 15 meter mark. So you can't stay underwater past that without getting disqualified. So I'm like a very leg driven swimmer and doing backstroke. It's like a lot of underwater. So my kick count is usually, it's usually 12. So I do 12 underwater to get to the 15 meter mark. Um, so when I'm swimming like a two back long course, I'll do 12 underwater and then have like my breakout strokes. And I like start counting as soon as I start swimming. Um, it's usually around 18 by the time I get to that wall. So when we are in practice, um, if we're working back end speed, that's what we call it. Um, it's like the second 50 of a hundred. So I'll do my 12 kicks and count to 18. And most of the time, like I've gone to a point where I can like look at my coach and if I know that I hit the count, then I can say, like, my time within a second. And this is just something I don't even know if anyone else does this that is, like, at, at the level that I'm at. It's just something that I like to do. Um, but if I know that if I did, like, one extra stroke or one less stroke or a cycle less, then my time's going to be a little bit off. Um, but I think it's just, like, with repetition, that's why I've gotten to, like, know what my time will be. So that's what the kick count and stroke count is. And usually it's a little different when you race um, just because of the excitement and adrenaline. My kick count is always the same, but stroke counts are different just depending on like how I'm feeling at the end of a race or um, yeah, that kind of thing. So. That's, that's cool stuff. I'll have, you know, Ryan, in the last Olympics, when you were swimming, I had my whole family and we, I was literally on my couch jumping as you were, as you were swimming and my kid, my kids were going nuts. And, and so were your family, by the way. And most of the state of Utah, that was, you know, a lot of people knew about you and, and we're in your corner and we can't wait for the next Olympics to see you get after it again. So, well, let, let's dive a little bit more in. I know Shad had, had uh, 
asked you or sent you a couple questions that we wanted to really sort of get into that we think would help some of the athletes that are listening to this. Um, Shad, why don't you fire away some of those at her? And then, and Ryan, if you have anything along this, you know, that you want to expand more on or that you feel like, hey, I, I want to tell that 13-year-old girl this or whatever, feel free to, to say whatever you feel. All right. Awesome. So we love to think of the athlete that maybe doesn't have the resources that other athletes have, that love to swim, have some talent in swimming, but maybe their parents don't have the resources to join a club or, or they're where they are. They can't join a club. It's just too far away uh, from other swimmers. And, and even high school swimmers who, I mean, you've trained at an Olympic level, right? So you probably learned some things at that level that you wish you could go back and tell your 13-year-old self, like, hey, let me give you some advice. So I'd like to fire a few questions at you like that. If you could go back to a high school Ryan White that's 14 years old, just starting your high school swim career, and give yourself some training advice as far as like, here's what I would try to do. Here's a week regiment for what to do in the off season. But let's start there. What, what would you say like, yeah, this would, I, this is the training I would try to do in the off season. If you want to be an elite high school swimmer. Um, well, we don't exactly have an off season. We have kind of two seasons throughout the year. Um, but I would say as a high school swimmer, the short course season is a lot more important. So in the summer is when a lot of people will take time off. Mm -hmm. um, if you're wanting to get to this to more of an elite level, I don't think it's a good idea to take the summers off. I think it's really important to stay disciplined through the summer. And that's a really good opportunity to give yourself because other people will be taking time off and, um, it's just kind of a chance to find an edge on other people. Um, I think like a lot of people might take Fridays off because it's the end of the week and they're tired or Saturday morning. And these are the most important practices of the week because so many people will go on Monday with this great attitude and attack the week hard. And by Friday they're getting tired. So I think one thing I would say is like really take advantage of those Friday, Saturday practices um, and so much so that you will have a better rest going into the next week. And I think just staying consistent with that and staying consistent with showing up to practice, showing up awake and ready to train. Um, that would probably be like my first piece of advice. Yeah. That's really cool advice. I mean, that's applicable across <laughs> all sports, right? Championships are usually won when no one is watching. Champions yeah. are revealed when everyone is watching, but they're won in those early mornings and on those Fridays and Saturdays. That's when they're actually won. And so that that's awesome advice. If what would a typical and I, I guess some kids maybe have more access than I think they do, but but if you were to give a 14, 15 year old, let's say that they had a club that practiced Monday through Thursday and they wanted to do some things on Friday, Saturday, like What's a typical good workout for a swimmer when they're trying to progress? How do they push themselves? How do they advance? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, 
When I was, I think I was a sophomore, I begged my club coach to let me come to morning practice. And I'm so grateful that he didn't let me. Um, but we came up with a compromise of rowing on like an erg. So that is something that so many great swimmers do. Um, just some sort of cardio. Uh, now I train on a rowing machine still. And I also use like, um, like it's called an assault bike. Um, but those are things that you can change, like the power output that the, the machine gives you. You can look at like how many calories you're burning throughout it and just having different workouts that last maybe 45 to 50 minutes. Um, and even in those workouts, my coach would give me a day where I did seven times of like a I think my goal time that year was like a 55. So I would go seven times sprinting a 55, like a 55 second. And even when I was doing that, I was visualizing my hundred back um, just in the last 15 seconds. Like I know that's when I'm pushing off the wall and I'm counting to like, I think at that time my kick count was probably closer to eight. Um, so in the last 15 seconds, like I'm counting to eight in my head and I'm seeing like the flags pass over my eyes. It's just, it's kind of, I think this is something that not many people would be able to do or think about doing when they're working out. Um, but I'm almost always visualizing uh, my races in everything that I'm doing. If I'm going to the weight room and the set has like 12 reps of something, I'm visualizing myself kick every rep. It's really, I don't know why I do it. Sometimes it's, um, it can be bothersome because sometimes I'll be trying to fall asleep counting my breaths and I'll end up counting to 16 or 18. And I'm like, okay, I just went 50 back. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's something to say, like rowing, assault bike, any form of cardio, that's something that's going to be super beneficial. So the 55 seconds, is that because that's about the time of, of your race? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah. In- um, High school, yeah, in high school, my I feel like my goal time was probably around 55 or 56. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit faster now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I was to do that workout now, it would be, um, my time now is a 50 point, so 50.0. So I would probably do this set with like holding 49 or going 49 seconds for this many reps. Um, yeah, I think I would take probably like four minutes between like between each 55 seconds that's it's just really good for I I think like the visualizing helps it makes you kind of almost feel like you're in the water when you're not um but yeah five seconds difference from your goal now to what your what it was in high school yeah that's a that's a lot of time when you think about it but it makes sense it's it's funny I talked yesterday I was texting yesterday with the dad of a of a quarterback in the NFL and we were texting about his son and and how he was doing and he mentioned to me how he still needs a lot of work and I thought wow he's doing pretty good but but <laughs> it does it makes sense and I I you know I I see it with quarterbacks that you know like your brother Jack who I did some work with the very best high school quarterback might you might watch him play and just think, holy cow, he is so good. He can do so much. But next to an NFL quarterback or even a really good college quarterback, but a college quarterback next to an NFL quarterback, the 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 jump in 
just the 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 improvement that happens the really elite elite level athletes it's crazy how much better the elite level olympians or pro athletes are than those really good high school athletes and and so i guess what i'm leading to is how do you get like if your goal's 50 now like where's the bar i mean you're not going to get to 45 right like 50s the goal but what like realistically where do you think you get it you can get to um i don't really know that i would say a specific time um because i feel like that's kind of cutting myself off the i my my time now is a 50.06 and i did that two years ago so my goal time this year is 48.0 um I just decided that I didn't go best time last year, so I'm skipping skipping 49. That's just what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But, yeah, I don't think I would give, like, a time that is, like, never reachable. Um, I love that you said that, Ryan. Like, that's so awesome. I, and I, let me tell you why. I'm sure Shad thought the same thing. But we, in our book, our first book, we talked about, focusing on your best rather than the best. And the point being is that the best is set by somebody, right? Like the best is, is whatever the, whatever the second place finisher time is, I've got to be just a 10th of a second better than that. And I'm the best, right? I win the goal, but it might not be your best. Like you might've been two seconds faster than that. Right. But Mm -hmm. you set a bar, you set a a ceiling at what the time needed to be. And we do that a lot in life. We say, well, I need to be all state. If I can just be all state, then I've reached it. Or I need to go to college or I need to have a shot at the Olympic trials. I want to go to the Olympic trials and just get there. And we set these. And once we get there, it's easy for us to say, okay, I've done it. I've reached it. And then, well, now what? Right. Like, Instead of taking that attitude, like you say, of, I don't know, maybe I can get like, I almost saw like some fire in your eyes when I said like, you can't get to 45, right? Like you kind of, in your eyes, you were like, hell yes, I can. I'm going to get to 45. Like you were like looking fire through me. I love it. Like, that's the kind of attitude of, I'm not going to set a bar for myself. I, maybe I can, right? Like, I love that. That's Sorry for the language. I get fired up talking to elite <laughs> athletes like you. It's awesome. That was a great answer. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> That's really cool. So, Ryan, this is something that you've had access to the best coaches and nutritionists. And I I would sometimes as we approach, and it's not just swimming, like sometimes it's our cross country, it's, you know, track athletes and these endurance athletes could you tell us about your nutrition and i know it's probably different for everybody but but how do you approach a meat nutrition wise like is there things that they have you eat a few days before or uh, do you try not to overthink that as well i would just be really curious how do you make sure your body has the fuel it needs to perform at the level that you want it to um, going into meats is honestly not much different than the way that I eat, um, like throughout the year. 
There are some things that we can do or that I can eat like before meat, but it is sort of part of the overthinking. I like to go into a meat with things that my body is used to. Mm. So I do have a nutritionist here at the school and um, we have the dining hall, which is really convenient. I actually cook at home a lot. I, um, at first I was bad, but I actually love cooking. I think it's super fun and it's, um, I'm fairly introverted, so it's a really nice way for me to recharge just having my mind, like, focused on one thing and, like, being alone um, during that time. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I eat much different at a meet versus throughout the year. Um, we have this thing, like, two weeks, three weeks before a meet. We call It's called taper, which is when we do much less yardage with similar intensity to our, like, heavy training um, just to give our body, it kind of works like a slingshot, um, effect on our body. Uh, it lets you like recover and then you hit your taper during the meet. And that's when you're able to swim faster than you are during the season. Um, and during this time, since we are like training much less yards, I don't eat as much throughout the day or like as many calories, I guess. Um, but I don't, I don't really count it or focus too much on like the numbers of that. Um, but yeah, I think I like really prioritize drinking a protein drink after practice every day, after every practice. So I actually drink sometimes like two to three a day. Um, we have cherry juices. It's just like a tiny bottle of cherry juice, which just helps with, um, like recovery and it has like natural melatonin in it. So I, I usually drink it before I go to bed. Um, and also I drink beet juice, like, um, Sometimes I drink it in the form of, like, a powder and mix it in water, but we also have, like, beet juice little, like, shot bottles, I guess. Um, and that's just, like, it's good for your um, red blood cells with the oxygen, and it helps your muscles. I wouldn't say, like, grow, but the fibers in your muscles are able to circulate the blood a little bit better. Um, think. <laughs> so those are, like, some of the things that I... I like definitely do every day. Um, I don't like cut out anything. I eat ice cream. It's my favorite dessert. Um, and I like, I, I think it's like really hard for me to cut things out because then I just want to eat them more, I guess. So I do prioritize eating healthy and eating well. Um, and it helps when I eat at home because sometimes like going out or going to the dining hall, like you don't know what they're putting in the foods that they're making. And sometimes they're like more salty than what I would like. Um, but yeah. Hmm. And you said something that uh, others brought it. We had Diljeet Taylor on our podcast and she is the, uh, BYU's cross country coach and their top 10 team in the country right now. She said something interesting that you mentioned there that might be good for all athletes to hear that she said, a lot of times we talk about fueling for workouts or for meets. She said, by far, we have found that the most important thing is the recovery meal after a workout, that that is what mm -hmm. your body needs. That's the thing that has the biggest impact. And, and you said you always have a shake after your workouts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm super lucky. We have, like, at our facility, we have a fridge, and it's full of, like, lunch meat, um, yogurts protein drinks it's it's like always stocked and we also have like snacks that don't go in the fridge and stuff but 
Um, usually as I'm showing up to practice, I have like a yogurt with some fruit and like peanut butter, something light. And then, um, yeah, like right after practice, everyone, we also have our like recovery room. Our training room is like literally the doors on deck. So I will like run to the fridge sometimes, grab a protein drink, like a core power or we have Gatorade ones. And then I'll just go back and sit in the cold tub or the hot tub or do my Norma tech or cupping and, um, yeah, it's it's sort of a habit now because it's so convenient, which I'm lucky. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something. And we have the same thing in the weight room too. So I will like drink a protein drink on the way to the dining hall for dinner. Um, that's cool. When you walked out during the Olympics, um, what was that like? Representing your country, seeing all the other athletes just that like was there a realization that holy cow i'm doing this or were you were you able to walk with the team when they came out you weren't like i know some uh, athletes come later in the you know the next week were you able to walk with the, the other olympians u.s olympians um for the opening ceremonies because swimming's like the first week um they they encourage us not to go to the opening ceremonies. It's like six hours of walking. So I actually didn't go. Yeah. Um, we like all got dressed up in our opening ceremonies clothes and like did our own little thing. As a <laughs> team. But um, yeah, I was pretty bummed that I missed out on that, but I've heard from other swimmers like that have done it in previous years, but it like really, it really takes a toll on their body. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Sure. Unfortunately, what was it like uh, being in there and hearing the crowd and things cheer for you? Can you hear everybody when you're underwater racing? Like, do you feel the energy? Um, when you're well, when you're counting your when you're counting your kicks and your strokes at the same, at time. The same time, time and listening to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have a lot going on in your head. She's going there. through no. like she has that chemistry final, and she's like, <laughs> "Am I breathing?" Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's definitely like an energy you can feel. Um, since there were no, there weren't spectators. Just we had like the different swim. Like every country had like their teams there watching, like trying to make noise. Um, there is like an energy you can feel while you're swimming, and it's just like adrenaline. It feels really nice, and like you know, like people are cheering for you, people are watching you. Um, I think that the Olympics in Tokyo were a little different than or a lot different than others yeah. um, would feel just because of that. It's like a lot more of the spectators are watching on TV. So yeah. it was a little, um, I would say it was kind of anticlimactic in that sense. Like you expect yeah. all these, like there's seats everywhere. They're just empty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You, you were, you were there during a, obviously a very unique Olympics. Um, do you have to take that into consideration with, you know, I know other athletes, you talk about all the time breathing and, and different things because it you can't simulate, you know, a, a, a game or in your case, it's impossible to simulate an Olympic or a world champion race at practice. The energy, the adrenaline, the like, does, do you have to take that into consideration when you're breathing and, and even things like kick counts and things like that because you're so worked up and hyped up for the moment how do you go about keeping yourself really present knowing that your that adrenaline's got to be just crazy inside of you at that moment 
Um, I think when we are at these meets with a lot of spectators, I, I typically don't focus on the amount of people in the stands. I, I got like actually really good advice from one of the coaches at the Olympics. Um, it was before my first race and she was, I was so nervous and she just, she just like pulled me aside and she's like, okay, just tell me, like, get it out of your system. Like talk about it. And so I just told her how nervous I was. And she talked about how there weren't spectators there and that there should have been. And that she wanted me to feel how nervous I would have felt if there were spectators there. Um, and then she just pointed out to me, like, the only spectators that matter are the ones that are in your front row. So this is something that I've taken with me to every meet since, um, which is like my family, my best friends. Um, yeah, it's a very small group of people. Um, so that's something that I would say, like, I focus more on when there are a lot of spectators and trying to recreate the hype of the meet. I'm, I'm still visualizing, like, what I would do in the situation of being like at world or at the Olympics again. Um, because I think like spectators and the energy, it's good to feel the energy in a positive way, but it can also be just like noise yeah. that should, I, I don't like focus on. So, yeah, that's great. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to write that down when we get off this. That was great. Hey, who's in your front row, you know, cause yeah. you could start worrying about what everyone's going to think, but you know, win, lose metal, non-metal, those in your front row know all the work that took it took for you to get there. And they are going to cry tears of joy for you, regardless of the finish. Cause they know, they know the true price. So when you, that's really cool. I mean, that's one, we say this a lot, but whenever we meet with an elite athlete, sometimes they just say these things. You've said a number of them today, but they stick with us forever and it'll be part of our presentation moving forward. So, so Ryan, you made a comment that I would love to pick your brain about when it comes to our mission, and especially for athletes and helping other people. We, we encourage, as you know, athletes to use their sport light, that extra attention that's given to them as an athlete to help and lift those around them. And you made the comment, and I've gathered this from some of the things that you've said, like, I go home, I eat, and I read a book, you know, and you, and you said, I'm an introvert. And so sometimes very well-known athletes, it's super easy to be an extrovert because everyone wants to talk to you. And, and so it's easy to be outgoing and things like that. But I'm always interested when we could talk to an athlete that has the values you have because you really do want to lift your team and lift those around you, but you're an introvert. And what would you say to an athlete that is listening to one of our presentations and we're trying to pump them up, eyes up, do the work, you know, see people that might need you and, and do the work to lift them and to help them. And they're sitting there thinking, man, this isn't as easy for me. I'm a little bit of an introvert. <laughs> what advice would you give to still use that sport light to do good, even though you are naturally an introverted person? Um, <clears throat> there's, uh, have you seen the movie We Bought a Zoo? Mm -hmm. um, there's a part in it and the, I haven't seen it in a long time, but it is something that I think about. It just like is 10 seconds of courage. So I think 
although I'm introverted, I'm fairly outgoing. But when it's something that scares me or intimidates me, um, if it is seeing someone and like as a freshman, sophomore, I might not think I have as much of a voice, but it just takes, I really think it just takes like maybe four or five seconds of courage to start this conversation and say like, Hey, I noticed you're doing this. Like, can I help you do it differently? And I think even though I am introverted, I try my best to put myself in uncomfortable situations like that. Um, and honestly, I think it gives me more confidence in a way, which is so weird how like our mind is like also connected. Um, but yeah, I would say like, it's important to be uncomfortable and not only in talking to people or making yourself more outgoing or faking it to be outgoing. I think that being uncomfortable in these situations prepares you for being uncomfortable in a situation that might have a lot of pressure in your sport. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. That's a great answer. Well, Ryan, you, uh, you make us feel fired up. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm motivated to, to get going today, talking to you. Just, I can't believe the maturity that you have. Holy cow. For a, for a college, yeah. for a college student, knowing what most college kids are doing on a, you know, a typical Tuesday morning or afternoon, like, and knowing what you're doing and what your goals are and where your focus is and what you've already done and been through. And, but not just as an athlete, but just the way that you're approaching everything, your, your time in the sport light, um, your example that you are to so many other people. And, you know, I hope that, you know, that we're obviously honored to have you as a representative of, of especially for athletes. Um, you're the perfect athlete for what we're trying to push the way you live your life, the, the way you, you know, you're, you're going about your goals, but also the way you are off out of the water, you know, and just in the community. And, um, so, you know, we're fans of yours and I hope, you know, every time you're in there busting your tail to get a little faster, working hard that, you know, that a lot of people are behind you and cheering for you and your front row, your front row is getting busy. There's it's filling up <laughs> and, uh, we, we wish you the best of luck as you continue to train and, and we're, we're with you. And so is the E4A family. Uh, keep it up. We're proud of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me all these questions. It's really nice to say some of this stuff out loud. I think it reminds me of some of like my values and the way I do things. And it's reassuring for sure. So Awesome. Well, hey, thank you, Ryan, so much. Yeah, thank you, too. Wow, Shad. I, I told you when we uh, had that conversation with Ryan a couple weeks ago that she was willing to come on and, and talk with us, that she would be a good a good interview for the podcast. But oh. I didn't believe it would be that good. She is an amazing person. There's four or five things that she shared there that were just so powerful to stay within my lane that has so much application in life not worrying about all those lanes outside of yeah. our control but just keeping it focused in there what what did she say in that episode that's just really going to stick with you well she the, the obviously the attention the focus level um but also that she doesn't take herself or the situation too seriously she's very under con very in control of what's in control does that make sense she's yeah 
she when she said i don't what other people what their goals are what they raise their times you know that's not in my control i have my time that i want to hit and i'm just trying to hit that you know and 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 i really really enjoyed you obviously heard me get pretty animated when i tried to set the bar at a certain time and she kind of looked at me like yeah, you know, I'm how dare you? Like, I might get that time. I'm not setting a limit on myself. Like yeah. that to me just showed the whole just personality of her and, and why she's not just an Olympian, but she's going to, she has medaled and she's going to medal in Paris in, in two years from now. Absolutely. The other thing that really stuck out to me is when we asked about her typical day and she talked about reading books and then she talked about how she stays away from social media because she doesn't want to get sucked into the trap of comparing yourself to others. And that was a pretty profound yeah. moment and great advice to young athletes and young people in general who just want to be more successful in life. Too many nowadays are getting sucked into that trap of comparison in social media and it's becoming damaging to them. And that was pretty profound to hear a Olympic athlete who could go out on social media and get tons of attention, I'm sure, but realizing it's not good for her yeah. mentally and for her goals to get sucked into that trap. Well, the self-awareness and the maturity to, to recognize that and the humility, right? To say, no, I, I could fall for that. I could be a victim to that. Instead of saying, no, not me, I'm good. Other people do it. I, she knew that, no, I'm pretty obsessive. So in fact, that's the word she used. I'm, I'm, and I know that that same characteristic that drives me to be as, as elite as I can be as a swimmer might also drive me to find problems. If I dive into the social world, social media world of look at me and I'm cooler than you world and, and the self-awareness and then the, the dedication to say, I'm not even going to give that the chance to entertain me. I'm not going to go there. Um, because I've got my mind set on, make make what's most important most important and these are just distractions to her and so she doesn't she's not even going to entertain it you know that's the kind of when we say eyes up and have your mind set on what's most important and then do the work that's exactly what it is in reaching your goal she just explained it perfectly yeah that was awesome great interview wow what a great great ambassador of the country and of especially yeah. for athletes and of all these wonderful principles. So thank you everyone for joining the Sportlight Podcast. Please like this, share this, discuss this with teams and, and with your own children. And it's a this one is a great one. So keep your eyes up and do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforalfies.org slash book.